Welcome to Unfuck Your Brain, the only podcast that teaches you how to use psychology, feminism, and coaching to rewire your brain and get what you want in life. And now here's your host, Harvard Law School grad, feminist rock star, and master coach, Kara Lowenthal. All right, Mike Chickens, this is like the week of money talk. I did an interview with the Pursuing Her Purpose podcast, I think it's called, All About Money Mindset. And today we are talking with one of my favorite money coaches, Bonnie Koo, MD, also a graduate of the Advanced Certification Feminist Coaching. She is a wealth coach, a physician, soon to be a master coach, and the founder of Wealthy Mom MD. Her mission is to teach and empower women with the cognitive tools to create wealth. She is a CEO and a thought leader on the topic of wealth for women, and she has a book out called Defining Wealth for Women, and that is what we are going to talk about. I love the subtitle to this book. First of all, you specify that it's a noun, which I find very helpful. I like to know my book titles. And then the subtitle is Peace, Purpose, and Plenty of Cash. So can you like start us off by just telling us kind of how you came to write the book? Like, How did this become your topic? And then what led you to want to write the book about it? Yeah. So I think you just wrote a book. So, you know, it's a, it's a journey. <laughs> I have not written a book. I have only signed a book contract. So the hard oh, okay. part is like still to come. Yeah. So I actually had the idea to write a book when I was just starting out my business and it would have been a very different book. It was going to be like a female, like a woman's handbook of money. So it's going to have a lot of how to do things and specific things like if you're a single mom and prenups and things like that, which people don't talk about in general. In fact, I find that if you bring up a prenup, people usually bash you and say, you're just thinking your marriage is going to end, even though the divorce rate's not zero. Like that's what I usually say. Right. If and also zero, like, then people have business contracts all the time, even though you know that a business partnership might end. Yeah. And I even like wrote the proposal and, you know, learned all the things about how to submit it. But then I was like, nope, not ready. Also, the whole writing the book part because mm-hmm. you have to write a book. Yeah, that's like, really that the biggest like downside of, of a book in my experience so far. Yeah, I'm like, that's a lot of work. So then I put it aside, <laughs> which, you know, I think was the way it was supposed to happen because I evolved, my brand evolved. You know, I started out my business as actually just educating. Like, hey, this is a Roth IRA. Hey, this is compound interest. Mm. I mean, first of all, no one tells us how money works. I mean, some places, high schools have like a class, but generally speaking, no one teaches you. People don't talk about it. Your parents probably didn't teach you because they don't know anything either. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes this self-perpetuating thing. And I work with physicians who are high income earners. And I think there's a lot of shame that I make a lot of money, but I don't know anything about it. But let's not talk about it and not learn about mm-hmm. it because no one else talks about it. And then I actually took your certification and it would have been a very different book mm. without your certification because I think I was in the middle of writing it when I was taking a certification. And so I was able to sort of weave in some history. And as you know, I think it's important that women know that because then it's like, oh, no wonder this is going on. And it just like normalizes why. So tell us more about that. Like, what is that kind of history and context that women need to know for their kind of feeling of like overwhelm or confusion or like irresponsibility around money? Yeah. Oh, were you asking me what that Yeah, is? yeah. Like, tell us about kind of what yeah. you wrote about in the book and what that context is. Yeah. I mean, first of all, it's like millennia of history, basically since the humans roamed the earth, <laughs> right? Women were literally not allowed to own money or even use it. And then obviously this is different depending on 
where you were, Greece, whatever. The UK. Different cultures had some different rules, but there's some similarities. For the most part, yeah, it was just not a thing. (laughs) Men owned all the wealth. And then when you married a man, you literally became their property. I mean, look at dowries, like all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And then we focus on the US and that's where we both are. And I found some fascinating facts, like some from your program, but also just looking up stuff. Like mm-hmm. there's some really weird laws out there that are still there. Like did you, I think in the book I wrote that in Alabama, it's actually legal to beat your wife as long as it's not more than once or twice a month. Still? It's like still there apparently, but like, I don't wow. know. I found that really weird because, you know, a lot of these laws don't they're just there. Right. They're just like on the book and they're kind of, what's it called? Like when an organ no longer does anything, it's like a vestigial. It's just sort of, right. Nobody's enforcing them. Nobody's calling on them. But you would think they'd like remove some of that stuff. <laughs> and then, you know, 1974, which isn't that long ago in the scheme of things. I was born in 77. So this all affected our moms, right? You needed a man's signature to open a line of credit or a loan. Well, that's just crazy to our generation, right? Because we don't even think about that. And I think the history is important. Like, I think a lot of women are somewhat aware of it. You know, even like the concept of marrying for love is like a modern idea, but it's still a contract, right? We were talking about prenups before. It's still a contract in your state. And there are consequences if you break that contract. And in the past, it was a contract and people understood that. But now it's like people forget that that's a thing until they get divorced and they're like, oh, Oh, wait. Wait, I think we should talk about this more because I actually think this is so important because marriage is one of the most financially impactful contracts that many women ever enter into. And they are not often even thinking about it as a contract. And as you said, like women are actively discouraged from thinking about it as a contract and told that that means that they are, you know, thinking their marriage is going to fail. That means they like don't believe in love or they don't whatever. Right. So can you talk a little bit about like why prenups are so important, what the kind of financial impacts of the marriage contract or of divorcing, you know, ending a marriage contract can be for women? Yeah. Well, the first thing I want to say is, yeah, that like most people have this story, just like you said, it's why are you doing this? You shouldn't do this, blah, blah, blah. Don't think about it. Just get married for love. Even though, as we said, the divorce rate's not zero. It's not 50%. (laughs) It's probably between 30 and 40%, depending on your demographic. We actually have a drafted prenup. We're not married. And the lawyer that I hired, I mean, I love her. She's amazing. And she actually said this sentence, which totally changed how I look at prenups. And she said, you're creating this contract that's tailored to your relationship because otherwise Mm -hmm. you're getting like the state one size fits all. And you're creating this out of love and the highest respect for this person. Mm -hmm. And instead of the story that this is, thinking your marriage is going to end. I actually think of it as like, I love you so much. I want the best for you. Like, here's my proof. Mm -hmm. Like, that's really how I think about it. Because here's the thing. Every state's different. So I'm not going to go into the law and I'm not a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, there's two types of, I guess, marriages, right? There's that common property and there's equitable distribution. And so California is like the prime example of common. I might be saying this wrong, but basically- Yeah, no, it's common. Just to clarify, it's like there's two different basically legal frameworks for how marriages work depending on the state. Some states are one way, some states are the other. One is common property and then the other is equitable distribution. Yeah. So yeah, you're a lawyer, so you remember this stuff. Former lawyer. This was also not my area, but that's the basic idea. There's two different legal regimes and what state you're married in or reside in can impact- which one is going to happen if you get divorced. Yeah. Also, another thing I like to tell women is like, you actually already are signing a prenup by getting married. 
Like there's- that, I think that's such a good point. Like marriage is a contract and you're just defaulting to whatever the rules happen to be where you are without even thinking about it or knowing about them. It's like, yeah. it's a false idea to think that without a prenup, you're somehow not entering into a defined contractual relationship. You are entering into a defined contractual relationship. You just don't know what the fuck the rules are if yeah. you don't set them yourself. The same thing with estate planning. There's like a default will if you don't have one, right? And every state's different in terms of how they pass property. So yeah, there's a default prenup and you have the ability to create a tailored one that's way cheaper because we all know how expensive divorces can be when they're contesting assets, right? Yeah. And so this is a much cheaper thing. And I also think it's important for couples to do because then they're actually talking about money before they get married, which so many couples don't. And then they're like surprised their spouse is like a huge spender or whatever, right? So when I first started my partner, I think the third day I asked him what his net worth was. (laughs) (laughs) Or not net worth. I asked him like, what are the balances in your 401k? Right. Yeah. And I think that when you think about it, like couples meet at such different points in their lives, right? And we're talking, we've been talking sort of gender generalities because overall, statistically, women in heterosexual relationships are like worse off when they come out of divorce financially and men are better off. It's not the same for all types of couples. But part of, I think, what's so beautiful about having like a prenup, let's say, is that people meet their partners at such different stages of their lives, and they're going to have different levels of like involvement and financial involvement. And it allows you to, like, I think, as you said, create what you, this is just turning into an episode about why everybody should have a prenup, but I actually think that's like, would change people's lives if that's what this episode was about. Like it allows you to create an outcome that is appropriate to like your relationship to where the people are in their lives. Like it's very different if you meet in your twenties and one of you supports the other one through grad school and then blah, blah, blah. Versus like, if you meet in your sixties and you're both retirees who had full financial lives before, like you're in a very different place and you can negotiate that differently. And I think that point about the default prenup is so good because this is such a problem with the law in general is that people don't understand that if nothing goes wrong, you can do whatever you want. But once there's a problem, whether that's a divorce or a child custody issue or a Anything like if a conflict arises that the courts have to do something about or where the law is involved, there will be a set of rules that will be applied that you had nothing to do with. And it's sort of like people don't think about the fact that in many areas of their lives, if they don't create a different legal agreement, they're just going to be subject to whatever is out there already. And then they're shocked and horrified at what the default prenup is for the most part, right? Because it favors... Well, it just depends on the state. So I don't want to say like the generalities. One of the most common objections I hear about prenups is like, well, when we got married, we both had nothing. And I think what they're not understanding about prenups is it doesn't matter if you had nothing because it's really about future assets. It is about prior assets. Like for example, a friend of mine who got married in California, one of the things that was in the prenup was, you know, any inheritances she gets, she gets to keep a hundred percent. So that might be something, you know, to play with in terms of that. I think that's important to do because most of us will probably inherit something from our parents no matter what it is. And so I think it's important to protect that. But the prenup is really for future assets. So one of the things, just to give an example from our prenup, which hasn't been signed yet, is so we both, we invest in real estate as a couple, even though we're not married. And no matter where the source of the money comes from to do it, we've decided we're just going to split it 50-50. And it's not complicated, but there is a formula to calculate spousal support. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, I have a business, right? So to protect that. So I think these are the things you can 
put in a prenup. And even if you don't have a business, you can put wording in to protect that anyway. I think that's such a good point that a prenup is not something that like only super wealthy people need to worry about. Yes. Right? Like women of every economic status, statistically, if they're married to a man, come out worse at the end of a divorce than the man does. So, and again, like obviously varies by case, but we're talking about statistical general population level. So, and of course it does cost money to like have a prenup or get a lawyer, but you know, there are templates available. There are things available at every like scale and stage and income level. And especially since we're coaches, part of our whole business is being like, Hey, you don't know what you might accomplish in the next 20 years. Like, okay, you don't have a lot of assets now. Wait till you, you know, hire Bonnie or join the clutch and blow your own mind (laughs) and create wealth if that's something you want to do. And then what's going to be that arrangement? I mean, and I think it's super interesting to think about it from the, I'm on the non-traditional point of view where I am straight and my partner is male, but I make way more money than he does, right? And he's the person whose lifestyle is like, would be much more impacted by something happening if, you know, if our relationship didn't work out or if his lifestyle is more in flux being with me and would be different. So like, for me, it is like love for both of us. I mean, we're not getting married. So we don't have, at this point, we don't have a prenup, but obviously I think about this in terms of like, okay, well, how would I want to think about that? If it's 20 years down the road, like, am I setting my business aside? Am I offering support? Like, I think it's not just like the person who's going to have less, who like needs the prenup. It's also an opportunity to like clarify upfront what people's expectations are, and I see the couples who go through divorce among my, you know, friends and people I know who don't have that and haven't had those conversations. It's so funny. This is like not, <laughs> it's like a little bit out of left field, but I was just reading this thing about the end of certain kinds of kink relationships where in some kinds of kink relationships where right, one partner has been given a lot of control over like daily decisions that the other partner makes. This is not my form, but this is a form that's out there. And I just read this article about how the thing that gets overlooked the most is like ahead of time, having a protocol for how you handle if that relationship ends, because you've created a a relationship of like mutual and decided upon dependency in some ways. And you need to have like a structure for how to transition somebody back when that's what they've gotten used to. Right. And it's like a similar thing, like thinking about the end of a relationship in that case it is not a sign of not care or not belief in it or not love. It's a sign of like, listen, we're in our best selves right now. Like right now we love each other the most (laughs) we are right. Or maybe, I mean, maybe not the most, it may get even better, but it's just like making decisions from your higher self almost. Right. It's like, wouldn't we want to decide now from the place where our relationship is strong and good. And we are like thinking with our most generous selves, how we want to act when, if, things change, like, or do we want to just leave it to our unmanaged minds at that point going through this stressful, whatever upsetting experience? Like, why would we want to decide it then? Let's decide it now when we are not in the midst of crisis. Yeah. And I'm so glad I have the coaching tools because let's say we were to separate and we're married. Not that it wouldn't be a negative experience, but I just know that I'll be able to handle it a lot more and hopefully have you know, access to my higher self versus my like angry self. Right. And another thing that came up for me is one of the things I told my lawyer is like, why wouldn't I want the father of my child and, you know, my former partner to like be set up right? if we, you know, separated? Like, that's how I think. I know people don't think that when they're getting divorced, but it's like, hopefully when you get married, you do love and care about the other person. Right. (laughs) Right. And so it's like, to me, it's like a no brainer. Like actually Matt and I joke a lot. I'm like, yeah, well, 
you know, if I'm the higher earner, like I'll set you up in a nice luxury apartment with two bedrooms so you can have Jack over. Like right, we joke about that. Right. But it's like, why wouldn't I do that if I was able to? But that's what I think now. And I'm sure that could change, but that's really how I look at it now in terms of like how a prenup No, I can think be. that's so good. And it's like so funny to hear, like I've had definitely conversations with coaches who are resistant to prenups and it's like, you plan what you eat, you plan your business plans, you plan your calendar, but you're going to like make no plan at all for what might happen in like the most financially and emotionally significant relationship in your life. And the financial like consequences of getting married and separating, right? There's a lot of- Right. It's like not having a business plan. It's going to be some consequences down the line. You're not going to know what they are until you get there. Yeah. So obviously we are both big fans of prenups, but (laughs) what are some other ways that you see kind of patriarchy like basically talking women out of or socializing them out of taking control of their own financial life. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of women think it's not their job or place. Like, you know, if they're in a relationship with a man, for example, a lot of them will defer to the man. That's not always the case, right? Because I definitely know people where it's the opposite. And I think it's just this insidious thing. So, you know, I work with, you know, primarily doctors. And so a lot of them are so afraid to like ask to get paid more, negotiate. Mm. Because of the socialization, what people will think, because a lot of times women are, when they do ask, they're seen as greedy and why Mm -hmm. are you asking and you should be happy with what you have type of thing. And some of them don't even ask because they're worried that's going to happen. And even when they do ask, they have so much anxiety about whether they're going to say yes or no. And even when they do ask, then it's like, what are the consequences of me asking whether they Mm -hmm. say yes or no? So that's like a whole thing. And so I think because of that, as you know, women get paid less because they don't ask for it. Or they don't even ask, for example, like when I started my first job, I actually asked all my colleagues, like, hey, what was your offer? What was your mm-hmm. offer? What was your starting salary? Because I really want to know, right? And thankfully, we all got the same starting salary. Mm-hmm. Although I did notice like someone who was hired after me, a man, and I don't know if this was a gender thing, but I had asked for relocation allowance, like a certain mm-hmm. amount, and they said no, but they gave it to this hire mm-hmm. after me. So I know. I'm like, was it a gender thing or was it they just had more money at the time? Who knows, right? But I think let's pause there because I think it's important, right? So when we say like women get paid less than men across many industries, it's a twofold problem, right? That's like what I'm always trying to articulate on this podcast is like, partly it's the internalized socialization. Women don't ask for it. Partly it's the internalized socialization of the people making the decisions, right? So people of their own volition will pay women less or see women as less qualified or whatever. So it's not that women are the ones causing this whole problem for themselves, but we are causing part of the problem for ourselves. And like, that's the part that we can work on with our mindset work while we are also trying to do the social work to change like other people's opinions and the structural inequalities. So it's just an, and it's not an, or right. It's not the only thing in our way, but for sure, if you don't ask, you're not getting it. And I think women are socialized to like think more about like being rewarded for hard work. It's like, we're supposed to just like keep our heads down, do a good job. And like, hopefully someone with authority will notice and decide to reward us as opposed to like, I'm supposed to go out and make this happen for myself. Yeah. I remember one of the things that I learned from your program is about how female lawyers tend to underbill, Mm -hmm. right? And so the same thing happens in doctors because you have to, it's this weird coding system that no one understands. (laughs) But a lot of, I think female doctors have the same thing like, oh, that was so easy. I don't want to code what I can code based on what I actually did. And so that Mm. happens a lot because I think a lot of people, especially male doctors and sometimes the women doctors is they don't think there's a gender pay gap in medicine because of the way we're paid. I'm talking about traditional insurance payments. Mm -hmm. So like, well, we all get paid the same Mm -hmm. for each procedure. So how is there a gender pay gap? But the underbilling is one of them. And 
There's a weird thing where if it becomes a female dominated field, the salaries mysteriously decrease. Right. Mysteriously, right? Like, is it a coincidence? Like, right. <laughs> not a mystery, not a coincidence. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Can you give us an example of like what's a field where as it became female dominated, salaries went down? Pediatrics. Interesting. OBGYN. So, so basically, as women began joining medicine in higher numbers and then joining those specialties, then the salary went down. Yeah. I mean, med schools are now 50-50. The actual workforce is, I don't know the exact breakdown, but it's not 50-50. And part of that's because it wasn't always 50-50 in the school. So you kind of right. have to wait for people to retire yeah. or die, right? <laughs> and and also there's there's actually kind of a big crisis in medicine. Well, in general, but I'm talking about the female specific part is women go part-time or quit at much higher rates than men. Right. And part of it's because they're moms. And so that is part of it. It doesn't like tell the whole story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've talked, I think, on the podcast before about also the idea that like a lot of people just are so stressed out by work, partly because of work culture, then partly because they're unmanaged minds. And for women, it's like more socially acceptable to go part-time, whereas men often don't feel the same. Like nobody bats an eye. I feel like a woman who's married, especially to a dude, is like, oh yeah, I work part-time. That's like so, so normalized, whereas men are not as normalized to do that. And then obviously people who are like single moms don't necessarily have that luxury. So can you tell us a little bit, we've now talked about all the problems. So get a prenup. That's one of your suggestions. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about some kind of thought or mindset shifts that you recommend women start practicing? So if somebody's listening to this podcast and they're like, fuck, I never negotiate for more money. I'm definitely terrified that everybody thinks I'm greedy. I don't think I'm responsible with money. And I like, where would I even start? What would you say? Well, they should join the clutch. <laughs> I did not. I did not set her up to say that. That was a <laughs> well. That's just obvious. Spontaneous, spontaneous observation. Yeah, they're going to learn all the things, and then you know, in my book, I you know, I go into it, and there's some stuff I talk about that's not so much, you know, female specific, but one of the things I love talking about is debt. And oh yes, let's talk. People about hate debt, and it's like this huge burden that people have. So I can talk about that, and then sort of like attached to debt is people are very, they love to celebrate being debt-free. So I'm in these Facebook groups Mm -hmm. that, and people announce it, you know, and Dave Ramsey, there's like the debt-free scream. I don't know if you've heard of that. Yes. Yeah. People come on the show and like they scream it and it's like this whole thing. So I think that's (laughs) great. Like, I think it is something to celebrate, right? If you have loans, like, so I'm not saying you shouldn't celebrate it, but I never see women celebrating being rich. Like, Oh my God, mm. I just passed a 1 million mark in my retirement account. So I'm so excited. Like no one does mm-hmm. that. And in fact, there's one group I'm in. If you somehow say, it's not even like somehow, because sometimes you're giving context to ask for advice and they'll say, oh, I have 2.1 million in my retirement accounts. Women literally attack these women saying, how do you have any money problems? Why are you bragging about the money? Mm. Like it's just this interesting dichotomy to me. It's like, okay, it's okay to celebrate being debt-free. And sometimes you're paying off a significant amount of money. Like student loans could be 500 grand, but why is it right. not So like okay? if you had not paid those off, you just have it sitting in your account and that would be bad. But if you used it to pay off the debt, then that's good. Yeah. Like and you created the same amount of money, but if you keep it, it's bad. But if you use it to pay off student debt, then it's good. Like yeah. A lot of judgment of how break a little bit. what you do with your money. But yeah, I find that fascinating. Like I really... One of the goals I have is for women to celebrate, not just to themselves, I think that's important, but then also 
celebrate it, you know, in public. Like that's, you know, that might be a big jump, but it has to start with them celebrating it at least internally and maybe share it with their friends and then maybe share it in a community. And my goal is eventually for people just to celebrate having money. People are so afraid, and especially doctors are like so afraid to talk about it because they're like, well, I don't want patients to think I'm rich. I'm like, but you are. <laughs> but it's also so important to point out this actually has nothing to do with being rich. Like one of the things I see in my students who are coaches and one of the reasons I think I made much more money faster than I ever thought I would is that the ones who are super excited that they made $500 with their first client are the ones who go on to make a million. The people who struggle to make more money are the people who are always thinking about how what they the money they have isn't enough and that it doesn't count and it's not good enough and it should be more. So they're just like always kind of shaming themselves about the money that they have made and sort of rejecting it and like not wanting to celebrate it. So I think this like celebrating what you've created is so important and it has to start way before you have $2 million in your retirement account or whatever, or even if you never have that much, like the way you will feel and the way you will think and act are so different when you're coming from a place to being like, somebody paid me 25 bucks for a coaching session. That's amazing. Like I just created that with my mind. Like I am way more excited about my students making like a grand than they are. And I'm always like, this is the problem. I'm super excited for you. And I was super excited for myself. And that is part of why I was able to create a lot of revenue quickly is like, it was all positive to me. I was like, this is amazing. And another hundred dollars. Like that is the energy you have to have about your money. If you want to a just enjoy it and B certainly if you want to create more. Yeah. And you know, what you're just describing is really kind of speaks to the perfectionist mindset. Like you're not happy until you like reach the goal. And so when I coach clients on, let's say I have a coach who wants to make their first hundred K that's kind of a big popular goal. I'm like, how do you think the hundred K comes? It's not like you wake up one day and it's there. And the day before it wasn't there, you make it right. a dollar a time, a hundred bucks at a time. Right. Like that's how it works. Right. So. And we're like, I'm not going to celebrate till we get to the amount. And then we get to the amount and we're like, now it has to be 200. And also I feel ashamed that I had a hundred and I shouldn't tell anybody like this is, so you have to celebrate along the way or it doesn't matter how much money you have, right? You're never going to feel any of the emotions that you're hoping to feel. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. All right. Everybody should do public money celebrations. We should start doing that. Where can people find you, find the book? Yeah. So everything's wealthy mom MD. So that's the website, that's Instagram. And if you go to my website, you'll be able to see the book. And obviously the book is sold everywhere. You can buy a book, not just Amazon, but some of the other. Go order the book. Bookshop.org is my favorite for ordering books online, not from Amazon. It's a website that links up all these independent bookstores. So it works like Amazon. You just go, they have everything, they ship it to you. It's not one day, but most of us don't need to read a book literally that day, but your money goes to independent bookstores. Some of them owned by women, hopefully. Yeah. Thank you so much, Bonnie, for coming to shake us up about prenups and celebrating our money. I think this was such an amazing episode. You're welcome. If you're loving what you're learning in the podcast, you have got to come check out The Clutch. The Clutch is the podcast community for all things Unfuck Your Brain. It's where you can get individual help applying the concepts to your own life. It's where you can learn new coaching tools not shared on the podcast that will blow your mind even more. And it's where you can hang out and connect over all things thought work with other podcast chickens just like you and me. It's my favorite place on earth and it will change your life. I guarantee it. Come join us at www.unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. That's unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. I can't wait to see you there.